Philippians chapter 3, as today we're going to look at Paul the Apostle writing regarding the one thing I do. So we see he's definitely a man who's focused. He's a man who has his eyes on the prize. He's a man who's not just in it to win it. Like he doesn't want the bronze or the silver. He wants the gold. He wants everything that God has to offer. And so we're going to see, as we've gone through Philippians, we see that um, there are goals that are kind of explicitly stated. Uh, For example, if you look at Ephesians 3, notice again, we read this last week, but in verse 10 it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And so for those of you who are Christians, uh, I'm pretty sure if I were to ask you, do you want to know the Lord more? How many of you would raise your hand? You would say, yeah, I want to know him. How many of you want to know the power of his resurrection? I'm just curious because you guys have been putting around and you don't have enough power, right? And so we want that power, right? And how many of you here would want the fellowship of his sufferings, though? You're like, hey, I don't know about that one. You put your hand down. But that's how you'll deepen your relationship with God. And then even to the point where you finally come to a place where we do what Jesus called us to do in Christianity 101 in the very beginning. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And so these are goals that we should have as Christians. I I think we have a little thing right here where we can show you those first four goals from Philippians 3.10. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know his sufferings. And I even want to know the the way that he laid down his life and he was willing to die. I want to have that heart as well. And so when you're suffering, my encouragement to you, if you're here today and you're suffering, yeah, you know, I know it's difficult. My heart goes out to you. But in that suffering, I encourage you, fellowship with God. Because there is a fellowship there that you can't have any other Place And so these are our goals that we have. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about them as we go through our study. But then there's a, another goal, and it's kind of more like a general biblical goal that I think is good to mention before we continue on. And that is, uh, number one, uh, to know him, right? So, you know, all the problems that we have in life, the answer really is Jesus, And you get to know him. And then the second thing is to be like him. And so we should have that goal. I don't want to be a legalistic Pharisee. I don't want to be like that person over there who, yes, I admire them, but uh, I'm not supposed to be cloned into his image. I want to know him. And I want to be like him, right? And so those are goals that we have. But then as Christians, I think God wants to use our life to help others know him. Amen? And so the third thing is to make to to, uh, to have others know him. I'm supposed to say that, and then the the fourth thing would be to help others be like him. So let me see if I can kind of sort that out for you: to know him, to be like him, to help others know him, and to help others be like him. That's how it's supposed to be. So. Um, you're, you're thinking about your friends, your family, your spouse. Yeah, Manny, I want, I, I want them to be more like Jesus. And so, yeah, I like that last point. And, and so, but let me just warn you on that. You, you can't change people. We can't change people. As a matter of fact, we're not responsible to do that. 
we are responsible to know him. And as we're faithful, hopefully somehow when we find our place in the body of Christ, God will use us to help others to know him. And God will use us to help others be like him. And so these are goals. These are goals that we have. And so Paul here is uh, talking about this. The Bible is talking about this. And so we read in verse 13, we pick it up here, Philippians chapter 3. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So, so Paul the Apostle, think about this for a moment. After 60 years of life, 30 years of faithful ministry, he, he says right here, I, I haven't arrived. I haven't atta- attained. I, I haven't achieved what I long to achieve in my Christian life. But, he says, I'm not giving up. As a matter of fact, here I am after 30 years of, of ministry, more focused than ever. More focused than ever. He basically says, one thing I I do, and that is I'm going to get past the past. I'm not going to look back on my failures or successes to see how many hurdles I've cleared or how many I've knocked down. That's not good to do when you're running in a race to look back. He says, no, I'm actually going to be reaching forward, straining toward the things that God has before me in my life as a Christian. Have you guys ever run a race? Just out of curiosity, right? You have, right? And uh, when you run, do you run to win? You know, are are you really in it to win it? This is what Paul is basically saying. I've got this heart. I've been blessed to be involved in ministry and know the Lord all these years. But um, you know what? There's still more for me you know and the thing that's kind of cool about it is he's not a young whippersnapper you know he's not in his 20s or 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 30s i mean this guy's in at least in his 60s it doesn't matter how old you are you know whoever you are young old we have to know that god has something amazing for us in the future and so paul here says number one i do not count myself as apprehended the, the great apostle Paul, after 30 years of amazing ministry, says, I haven't arrived, so I will strive. Of course, we've talked about the fact that this fire, this desire, this drive, this striving for more is rooted in a holy discontentment, a sanctified dissatisfaction. And what that means is that he knows he's saved. Don't, don't think that he's trying to get saved. Okay, salvation is a free gift given to us the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ. But he wants to be more and more sanctified. He wants to reach these spiritual goals. He wants to know the Lord. He wants to be like the Lord. He wants others to know the Lord. And he wants others to be like the Lord. And even though, you know, God had already used him in such a tremendous way, after 30 years of ministry, he is not about to retire as a matter of fact the fire is only growing and wherever we are however long we've been a christian i think we need to have this heart he he says brethren family brothers sisters i do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing i do 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And and as I read this, I, I like that articulation the concentration of those words, you know, the the one thing I do. I, I would say this, one of the problems in the church, one of the problems in my life is that sometimes we are not focused. You know, a lot of times Christians are too involved in so many things when in all reality the secret of progress is to concentrate on one thing. Stop concentrating on him. Stop concentrating on on her. Stop concentrating on this, that, or the other. No, God here says we have to be way more focused than that if we want to grow. You know, a lot of times I think we in the church, in all reality, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're divided because we have divided hearts and, you know, we have divided eyes and we're looking here, we're looking there. And then at the end of the day, we're not all in. We're not like this one thing I do. There are many things we do and God has a part of my heart. I remember this one little kid and my heart just went out to them. They went to a Christian school, but mom was Christian. Dad was Buddhist. And so they went to the school and she said, this part of my heart belongs to Jesus and this part of my heart belongs to Buddha. Some people are like, well, this part of my heart belongs to Jesus, but this part of my heart belongs to all the other things the world has to offer. And God says, no, I I won't settle for that. I want all of you. There has to be that one thing. You know, otherwise we have a divided heart. And next thing you know, we ended up, I I think, with divided eyes. We're looking out here and there and everywhere. I remember when I used to work at the pantry. It was a supermarket in Duarte. I was only a, a junior in high school. I think I was 17 years old. Any of you guys remember the pantry supermarket? Okay, so a couple of you do. Anyways, um, I remember there was a, a, a checker there. She, wh- her name was Gertie. She had, was ready to retire when I, when I got there. So she had been working for 40 years at this supermarket. And do you guys remember those supermarkets where you would put your stuff on the belt and the, the checker had to literally take it, take a look at the price and, and plug in the, the numbers? And some of you older folks are like, yeah. The younger ones are like, what are you talking about? They have scam bars, right? <laughs> and so anyways, think about this. She's doing this for 40 years. She's taking a look at the price. She's plugging it in. She's doing this for 40 years. And you know what ended up happening? By the time she's ready to retire, her eyes had the capacity to go in different directions. So she was like, like, and I looked at her and I was like, whoa, <laughs> is this crazy, you know? <laughs> and, I, and I think um, what happened to this beautiful lady named Gertie was she had been doing that for so long that, you know, in, in one sense, it impacted her in a way that I think it impacts Christians. You, you got one eye on the Lord, but you got the other eye on other things. And God says, no, you have to have this articulation, this kind of concentration. Um, one thing, one thing I do, these, Lord, you're my goal. You know, this can happen to us spiritually. Paul says, no, one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind. You know, when I read this, I couldn't help but think of Jesus' words in Luke 9.62. He said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
You know, if you're plowing, you got to plow straight. So you can't be plowing and then looking back because it's going to get all chueco. It's going to get all crooked, right? God is saying the same thing. We have a past, right? All of us here have a past. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. But we got to get past the past. It doesn't matter whether you look back and you're all great, you know, the glory days. Are you going to rest on your laurels? Even if you look back and it's ugly, you know, the gory days. It doesn't matter. Those of you who are familiar with the scriptures, you know Paul the Apostle had had both, didn't he? Before he got saved and started planning churches or even going to church, he persecuted the church. He would go in and he would arrest men, women, and children, and he would put some of those disciples to death, the Bible says. So Paul's blast to the past was that of a religious terrorist. That's who he was. Imagine that, going in to churches, arresting people, and killing them. Now, I don't think it gets much worse than that. Well, that that was Paul. And so he had another past, though, and that is that after he got saved, his life completely changed for the better. For the last 30 years, he was the cream of the crop when it comes to Christians. Paul was a solid saint, a pastor's pastor, a church planter, teacher, leader, writer, author. He wasn't your average Christian author, though. He wrote 13 books that made their way in the Bible. And so think about this, man. This guy that was used in such a, a great way, he had decades of faithfulness behind him. And so in looking back, there were 30 years that were very bad and there were 30 years that were very good. And so he might say, okay, well, now I'm even, right? I'm good now, right? And so I can just kind of now like slow down and retire. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Paul knew it was best to set the 60 years to rest and to start to follow Christ like never before. He he says, don't look backward as you're trying to go forward. Don't look back to the good or the bad. Now, Now, for some of you guys, I don't know you. I think have a feeling that some of you are probably a little bit more moral than the, the rest of us. You look back, it's not that bad because you're on track, no drama, no issues. The percentages of you hitting the mark are higher than most, right? But even if that's you, you're looking back and it's kind of good. Listen, don't slow down. Understand that past prosperity doesn't guarantee future victory. Remember Rocky? You guys, we got to learn life's lessons from Rocky, right? I think it was Rocky chapter, Rocky chapter three, Rocky, <laughs> Rocky three, when he, uh, he lost the eye of the tiger. Remember that? And so that great song came out and he got focused once again. I think that actually happened again in, in Rocky five when he had to go to, I think, Russia or Siberia to train. Anyways, we can lose that edge sometimes, right? And God is just saying, no, uh, you know, we need to have that, that eye of the tiger You know, when I look back on my life, I kind of envy some of you guys here who maybe are not as challenged by your past because when I look back, I have a lot of regret. There there is a a lot of holy discontentment. And, you know, I look back on, on my failures, my failures before as a Christian 
and my failures after I was a Christian. And you know, and when you have failures after you're a Christian, I'll tell you what, you can struggle with that. And that could potentially bring you to a place where, you know, you get down and depressed and discouraged and defeated and you don't even want to try anymore. Sometimes I look back and I sigh, Lord, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why am I like that? You can look back, I mean, to yesteryear. Some of you guys can look back to yesterday. And you say, you know, I don't know if I have what it takes to really be this man of God, this woman of God. And this is why Paul is writing, listen, we got to make sure that our past doesn't drag us down. We have a choice and we got to get up. We, ha- we got to make sure that we don't get buried by the bad things that are behind us. We actually to ch- have to choose, Paul said, to forget those things which are behind us, whether it's good or bad. And it's an interesting thing. You know, I, I think that when we know God does that, it helps a little bit. Uh, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four it says, For I will forgive their iniquity, their sin, I will remember no more. And so if you've blown it in the past, don't think that that now makes you a second-class citizen. Listen, whoever you are, sir, whoever you are, Ma'am, let me just share with you. Man, it doesn't matter. God might make you a pastor. God might make you an evangelist. God might make you the, the president of the United States of America. I don't know what it is, but God can use any life. Please, listen to me. Because I know that there are some of you here who think it's too late for me. God can't do that with my life. And, and at the end of the day, this is like the greatest thing in the world. To be used by God, I want to know him. I want to be more like him. I want others to know him. And I want others to be like him. I want to help people. You know, it's so cool when you see Paul here telling us, you know, you can, you can look forward. You don't have to look backward. You can go toward this goal, this prize. You have to have your eyes right there. Now, I need to say that although we don't look back to our past to concentrate or be condemned by it, there are ramifications of it, right? There are consequences of forgiven sin. We will reap what we've sown. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, I I did a lot of damage to uh, my brain with all the drugs I did before I was a Christian. And so I have to live with that today. But it has its advantages, to be honest, to have brain damage has its advantages. (laughs) I could watch a movie... Uh, and then watch it again and forget completely how it ended up. And so I do it over and over and over again. So there are some advantages. But at the end of the day, I mean, hey, if you messed up in the past, and let's just say you have to pay alimony or child support or just different things, I mean, yeah, there's still consequences, even though it's forgiven. But what Paul is saying is, listen, you don't have to concentrate on those things. You can't look back while you're running forward. And listen, your past does not define you. That's all he's saying. God still has a future for us. And you want to know something? It's glorious. It's glorious. So we need to passionately pursue that future, which is rooted in our relationship with Christ. You know, the past, I always tell you guys this, and forgive me for repeating myself, but it's like a rearview mirror, right? It has its place as we're driving. It has its function. We learn from our past successes or failures, 
But our windshield is not a mirror to look back. It's laminated glass intended for us to look forward. I wonder, I wonder, can I ask you a question? What's your future? What will happen in your future? It's all dependent on whether or not you and I are willing to chase after Jesus. You put him first and you watch what he does in your life. You know, you look forward, you look up, you look to God. As a matter of fact, I will even say don't look to the right or to the left. Warren Wiersbe said, if, said, if we look to ourselves, we'll be depressed. If we look to the world, we'll be distressed. But if we look to Jesus, we'll be what? We'll be blessed. And I know that's, you're like, that sounds kind of corny. It's true. Listen, it's really, really true. As a matter of fact, it was interesting. I was talking to one of the brothers that rides a motorcycle, and uh, he was telling me about this thing. It's called target fixation. And apparently, the way that our, our, our brain works or our body works, one of the products of our body's uh, brain muscle is that, you know, you're going to go to what you look to. And so that's why, you know, playing baseball, for example, they tell you to keep your eye on the, on the ball, right? And believe it or not, the same is true like when you're riding a motorcycle. How many of you here, I'm just curious, you ride motorcycles? Just curious. Okay, just, can I try it afterwards just to make sure it, it works? Okay, yes. Yeah, so anyways, what they say regarding the motorcycles, the, the target fixation is that, you're, you know, when you look at something as you're, as you're riding, your chances of hitting it, they increase. It says right here, when riding, we call this tendency target fixation. If an obstacle appears, not, if an obstacle appears in your path, staring at it will greatly increase your chances of hitting it. Your body's feedback mechanism will cause you to steer toward an obstacle that you're, you're staring at. So imagine, you know, you're riding a motorcycle and you see, I mean, it could be like a bag there on the road or something and uh, you don't know what's in the bag. Maybe there's something, big metal object that's in the bag. So, you know, your tendency is to look at the object, but they're saying don't look at the object, look away from the object, which is where you're going to want to, want to ride that motorcycle because if not, you might end up hitting that which you fixated your eyes upon. And this is the way it works. And so it says here, the solution is you must develop a habit that counteracts target fixation. Look where you want to go, not where you don't want to go. Develop the habit of considering your eyes part of your steering system. Your first step in steering maneuver then must be to consciously look where you want the bike to go. It says, when you do find yourself faced with an emergency involving an obstacle, you will be better prepared for the most critical technique in collision avoidance. It says, look at the path of safety, not at the obstacle. And so now we can all go out and buy a motorcycle and, and ride. No. You know, it's, it's, so, it's so simple. You know, what, what are you focused on? You know, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the wife, the husband, the kids, the, 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 the problems. You know, even I find myself, even when I pray, sometimes I'm praying and I'm just telling God about all my problems. And, you know, it's okay to bring it up to God, 
But the Lord, you know, then begins to say to me, you know, get your eyes back on me. You know, we have to make sure that we have these eyes on the prize. Paul here says, I do not count myself to have apprehended one thing I do, and it has two parts, forgetting those things which are behind, but that's not enough, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And so for us, we talked about the fact that we want to know Christ. We want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, be conformed to his death. We want to know him. We want to be like him. We want others to know him, and we want others to be like him. Paul said, this is what I do. After 60 years of life, it it felt like a new beginning to him. It says in verse 14, Paul says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, one of the expressions I like to use a lot is no pressure. No pressure, bro. No pressure, sis. Whatever the Lord shows you, you know, feel, feel free to, to do. But sometimes it's good to have some pressure. You know, some Holy Spirit pressure that says, hey, I know you're in the race and I know you're getting a little tired, but if you want to win, Right now, you're going to have to get that endurance and you're going to have to tell your body what to do. And, and Paul is saying, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I, I think of this and, I, you know, I can't help but think of football. And by the way, I'm proud of you guys for being here. I don't know if it's tempting for you to stay home and watch football. Uh, maybe some of you online are at home watching football. I pray that God will convict you, um, you know, big time. Because <laughs> there's nothing like being here at, in person, right? But I will say this, that football, I love football. I played football. Believe it or not, when I was uh, in junior high school, I was the same size as I am right now. <laughs> and so I was pretty big uh, back in the day. And... Uh, <laughs> I, this morning, I pulled out my baseball picture, and I, I was that close to showing you guys how tall I was um, back then. But anyways, I stopped growing. But anyways, so I played football, and believe it or not, I was tied in, man. And uh, not to brag or anything, but I caught a lot of touchdowns. And so throw the ball, catch the ball, you're running towards the goal, Right. And this is what Paul is saying. And when you're running and someone's chasing you and you've just got this adrenaline and you've got this speed, you've got this excitement, you've got this inspiration, no, I'm going to make me a touchdown. I'm going to score. We're going to win. Well, that's what he's saying right here. I, I press on. Now, the interesting thing about this Greek word, it actually means the, uh, the, the other side of the ball. Any of you guys ever play defense when you're trying to track somebody down? You're trying to catch up to them? Well, that's what Paul is talking about right here. As a matter of fact, it was a Greek word used for a hunter pursuing and catching a prize. And in what sense? This is what we do as Christians. Now, let me tell you something. Before you were a Christian, you didn't run after God. He came running after you. Before you were a Christian, you did not, we did not seek God. He sought us. But now that we're Christians, that's what we're called to do. We're called to seek him, and we're called to run after him. We are called to passionately, like, like if you're, the guy's got the ball and you're after them, that's the kind of life God wants us to now live. 
you know, when I think of this and I'm thinking of, Lord, uh, to get to know you, it, it's, it's, it's my life ambition. You know, when I talk about knowing God, what do you guys think? Know, knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus. How many of you want to know Jesus, right? But what's he really like? What's he really like? You know, when you think of Jesus, of course, you think of God in the flesh, our Redeemer on the cross. You think of him healing people. You think of the power that he has. But, but you know, when I was listening to this song by, by Phil Wickham, man, I was just blown away. God just showed me things about, about Jesus. Um, I, I would really encourage you guys to get that album, that CD. How many of you have heard the word, I mean, that song, the Jesus Way by Phil Wickham. Okay, you, you guys, you got you to check it out, you know. I, I like all kinds of music, you know, heavy metal, rap, everything in between, right? I love praise music. The music in this song is good, but the lyrics, the lyrics are amazing. Let me read them to you a little bit. This is what it says. It says, if you curse me, then I will bless you. If you hurt me, I will forgive. If you hate me, I will love you. I choose the, the Jesus way. If you're helpless, I will defend you. If you're burdened, I'll share the weight. If you're hopeless, then let me show you. There's hope in the Jesus way. If you strike me, I will embrace you. If you chain me, I'll sing your praise. If you kill me, my home is heaven. I choose the Jesus way. Now, how many of you here, and I'm talking to myself as well, if they curse you, would bless them? if they hurt you, would forgive them. I mean, when we're, we're looking at what Jesus, we're, I want to know him, oh, I want to know him. Well, this is how he is. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> and this is where God has just been challenging me. He's saying, hey, Manny, this is why I'm showing you this song. This is why I'm showing you who Jesus really is. This is why I'm showing you how Jesus really is because you said you want to be like him. Well, yeah, Lord, I, I want to pray like him. I want to do miracles like him. I, I, I'm kind of interested in teaching like him, but I don't know about, about that. And the Lord is saying this is like the heart of being a Christian. And, and when, when you see this and you want to run the other way, God is saying, no, you're being tested. For us, I look at this and I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm tired of just feet on the ground. I want to defy gravity. I want to do what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40. I want to fly. That's what he's saying here. There's this upward call. 
It's not your nominal Christianity. It's not your casual California Christianity. There was this upward call. When I was in the world, I got high. Now that I'm in the church, I'm going to get high. I'm going to get higher with a different high. That is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You guys, we have come to a radical place in the book of Philippians chapter 3 where if you're open, God will change your life because he takes away all the other things that we've been pursuing and he says, no, let me narrow it down to the one thing that really matters. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I love the way he calls it, you know, press toward the goal for the prize of the upward, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Like I said, physically speaking, I stopped growing when I was 12. But I don't ever want to stop growing forward. I look back on my life and I thank God for the good things that he's done. I look back on my life and I, I ask God for forgiveness for the bad things that I've done. There's a little rare view there. I want to learn from my lessons. But I don't go forward by concentrating on the past, whether it's success or failure. I have a future and I don't know what it is. But I will pursue God with all my heart. I don't ever want to stop growing forward as a Christian. And to be honest, I look at my life and, man, I, I, I see how short I am. I got a lot of growing to do, but I'm excited because God's going to do this work. And so in looking at our t- study today, in one sense, we see, first of all, Paul's heart was to lay hold of those goals. That, that was Paul's heart. He's telling them his heart. The second part is for, Paul says, was for us to lay hold of those goals. Look, if you would, at at verse 15. Here in Philippians chapter 3, he says, Therefore, let us, and now he makes it plural, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Paul basically says, if you're spiritually mature, or even if you want to be spiritually mature, you're going to have this mentality. You're going to have this way of thinking. You won't look back any longer, but look forward with great expectation and eager anticipation. You know, it's interesting, when you look at these two verses right here, uh, again, if you would uh, read it with me again, therefore let as many as are mature have this mind, you might want to circle or just make notal, mental note of that word mind. And if anything, you think that, that you might want to make a mental note of that word think. Otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, the degree we have retained this walk by the same rule is be of the same mind. See, a lot of this has to do with the way that we think. And we have to sometimes rewire the way that we think. Well, a lot's happened. God, I've accomplished a lot. And so God says, cool. You know, are you going to like lose the fire now? Remember when the church first started? Do you remember those days when you went witnessing? 
on the streets of El Monte? Do you remember those days? Do you remember the fire? Do you remember the desire? Do you remember the, the heart, the mindset of those days? Have you lost that? No, we can't. As a matter of fact, I learned this from my pastor. It has to grow. It has to grow stronger. This is the way we have to think, you guys. This is have to be our, our mentality. This is what he says right here. He says, the mature have this mind. And, and, and if not, he kind of says it right here, if not, the New English translation, I like, the, I like the way they word it. If you think otherwise, God will reveal to you the error of your way. That's really what he says. And I heard one pastor say the other day, you're free to disagree with me. Everyone has the right to be wrong, right? <laughs> and that's kind of what Paul is saying. You know, as many as mature, let them have this mind. But if they don't, and they're open, God will show them that they're wrong, that, that you haven't arrived, that you can't look back, that you've got to strive and go forward with your eyes on the prize, your eyes on the Lord. You know, I hope you guys know that God has you in these spiritual Olympics. Imagine what it would be like, you know, um, shooting for the Olympics and I'll bet you almost anything, anyone would say, man, just being in the Olympics would be like the achievement of a lifetime. But I think that's what separates the gold medal winners from everyone else. There are some people who have the mentality, no, for me, it's not just enough to be in the race. I'm going to win this race. And that's exactly what Paul is saying right here. You know, I, I pray as we're looking at this and God is just saying, Manny, I have more for you, you know, th th that you would be open to that and that you would take these principles and put them into practice. And so what I wanted to do actually was close the study with, uh, I have uh, some things to help, uh, 77 things to help you real quick. No, I'm just joking, not 77. <laughs> Seven things, but, but I will say this, and please, please, you guys have heard me say this before. If you haven't, please listen for a second. This is not a religion. When you go to a religion, when you're there and you have that religion, they tell you what to do and you get it done and you feel like, yeah, I'm good with God. It's not a religion where man tells you what to do. It's a relationship where God tells you what to do. And so here's what you have to do. Don't be sitting here thinking, well, I hope that that person heard it. I hope that person heard the study today. No, what we have to do is to come to church service and say, Lord, what you show me what I need to do. Let there be no conversation today that says, hey, you should have done that or you should do that or you. And No, stop it. Let there be the conversation between you and God in which God tells you the divine details on what you're to do. And he will tell you because he's a personal God and we have a relationship with him. And so those are like things that are very personal, but I'm going to give you seven things that are more general and then we'll let you guys go. Number one, get a good grip on God's grace. And so is it okay to say to you today that all your sins are washed away? 
in the blood of Jesus? You guys know that? Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you? If you haven't, do that today. If you have, believe in the death, resurrection, I'm saved by faith in Christ, then he washes away your sins. And you need to get a good grip on grace. But number two, you also need to have a heart for holiness. And so we don't abuse grace, we use it. And so there has to be that beautiful balance. Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Number three, we have to be in the word. And so, you know, just reading your Bible, saturating yourself in the scriptures because you want to learn the truth in the land of lies and because it's a living word. It's like you eat to feed your body. You need to eat to feed your soul. Number four, pray and obey. Pray and obey. And even though there are two things, since they rhyme, I thought I'd put them on the same line. Pray and obey. Number five, don't miss church. Um, And maybe, I know this sounds radical. You ready? Maybe even go more than a Sunday. (sighs) (sighs) If that's what God's calling you to do, man, we got men's fellowship, women's studies. We got midweek services, different things like that. You know what? To be honest, and I just got to tell you guys this, you know, nowadays the world is doing more and more things on Sunday. There was a time where the businesses weren't even open on Sundays because that's the Lord's day we go to church and that's the day we sanctify unto the Lord, right? But now all the businesses are open except for Chick-fil-A and uh, what else? There's a couple others. Hobby Lobby, yeah. So that's why I like those businesses. But anyways, now they're doing all the sports activities on Sundays. Have you guys noticed that? And so I want to just say this to you, be careful. I want to tell you this, because some of you guys, you haven't even had kids yet. You're going to have kids, and one day you're going to be facing this. <gasps> Should we take them to you know, sports or church? I remember Joey Casillas when he was alive. John mentioned him earlier. His son was a very good baseball player, little cute little guy, very good baseball player. But when the game started falling on Sunday, Joey Casillas said, no, Sunday he goes to church not sports. Now, I'm not saying you can never do that. Maybe once in a while, there's a special game here, a special game there, because I think if I were to say that, I'd be legalistic. But if they start taking all your Sundays away, you guys, whatever it is, my encouragement to you is to fight it tooth and nail. Number six, get involved. Man, start serving in ministry remember beauty and the beast life is so unnerving unnerving for the servant who's not serving it's true you guys get involved um it doesn't matter how old you are how old is paul when he's writing this letter right here how old is he 60 some of you guys were thinking oh i thought that was too old no it's not too old you're not too young either as a matter of fact you single people I'm going to single you out for a second here, man. <laughs> uh, now, sometimes I understand there's other responsibilities that are pressing, but if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says that that single person has plenty of time to serve the Lord. And if you start doing these things, taking those steps of faith, my brother Raymond, you guys know Raymond and Stephanie, one of the things that will always be etched in my mind that he always says is this, what's the next step? What's the next step? And it's true for all of us here. If you do these things and you take those steps of faith in obedience to the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ, the last one right here, it says, and just watch what God does. Amen?